This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia, and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. Hi, it's Chris Saxman, uh, Executive Director of Virginia Free with the VIP Podcast, the collaboration between VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia, and Virginia Free. Uh, joining me today is Tina Ramirez, candidate for the 12th Senate District. Welcome. It's great to be with you, Chris. So you're running for the state Senate. I am. <laughs> What's that about? Well, as you know, when the district lines uh, came out, you know, post-census, it was not what anyone expected. Uh, the seventh district that you know we currently live in was completely chopped up into four different pieces. The northern part, a little sliver of it, ended up going into Rob Whitman's old district, and so Fredericksburg, Stafford, um, Quantico, that whole area is now the seventh district. And Abigail Spanberger decided to run up there. It's like 75 miles away from my home, so um, Rob Whitman is now in the first district where mm-hmm. Chesterfield is located, and so we felt that it was best to clear the way for Robin. Um, you know, he's the sitting congressman in this newly formed district and to go ahead and turn my attention to the state Senate so that I could continue to uh, just, you know, we've built up such a such a huge grassroots support across across the district, but especially in Chesterfield where, where I live. Um, I mean, you know, before before the, the lines came out, I was the clear front runner, as you know, in this congressional race, we had, you know, definitely by every measure outraised everyone, um, been across national media. I mean, we had just met every matrix metrics in order to win the race. And so I I would have looked forward to being your next congresswoman, but you know, with um, just with great respect for Rob, I wanna make sure that he's able to be successful in this position. And so I feel like we can still do a lot of great work in the state Senate to help Glenn Youngkin advance his agenda. And you know, we've we've got the movement and the support behind me to to win the seat and to help do that. And so I think that's important. Okay, but it sounds to me like, you know, you, you definitely wanna serve and you want to, uh, you know, offer yourself up for public service. You were going to run for Congress. You ran for Congress. Uh, I think everyone agrees, and the data shows you overperformed expectations uh, two years ago with the last you know, 2020 in the mm-hmm. in the, in the, um, the nomination there. So you're driven by public service. Tell us about that. Well, my whole life has been about serving others, so that's just part of what makes me who I am. I mean, right. I do. I run a nonprofit organization that um, defends individual liberty around the world and here in the United States. And we're going to schools across Virginia this year and working in schools to advance liberty. So these are things that are just part of who I am, what I do, and I love serving people. And I think that over the last few years, we've seen a you know, huge, um, just so many attacks on individual liberty and in particular on, on parents' rights and education. And so mm-hmm. in the last two years, that's really been a huge focus of mine in the, in the congressional campaign. And that's something that we will take into the Senate race as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's really the, the most important issue right now for parents, for myself, and for our individual freedoms, because really our children are our future and the future of our democracy. And so, you know, without being able to instill our values in them, what do we have? Right. And right. I mean, I work in countries literally around the world where I see what happens when children don't have the most basic rights and freedoms that we have. So, let's, let's come back to that. Yeah. Let's do a little more personal dive yeah. into Teen Room Marriage. What's your favorite TV shows? What you, or what are your favorite TV shows? So right now, my daughter and I are watching The Book of Boba Fett, but Mandalorian is definitely- the Book I, of Boba Fett. Yeah, you okay. know, the Star Wars trilogy. Star Wars. Yeah, we're okay. big Star Wars fans. Star Wars, okay. And uh, what, what else 
Well, the Boba Mandalorian. Fett. Mandalorian. Yeah, right. I mean, those are, we are huge fans of that in our house. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, movies. I'm assuming the Star Wars trilogy. Oh yeah. I mean, we go. Yeah, through all nine of them. My daughter and I. And anything else other than Star Wars comes we, to mind? We do. I mean, my daughter and I, and I, I know I've shared this with you before, but we're huge Pride and Prejudice fans. That's uh, right. You just. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's a. Hey, it's it's. Um, I actually used to. Growing up, I used to spend my weekends. We would go to our beach house, and my dad and I would watch Pride and Prejudice. So. It's yeah. Which version? The old, the the British, probably like the nineteen eighties okay. version. Yeah, so with, you say nineteen eighties or old? Well, the, it, no, because there's newer you don't mean version. You people my age. No, there's a newer version, and I don't like it with Kira Knightley. You don't yeah, like that one. I apologize to all you fans out there, but no, I do not like the the new Kira Knightley version. My daughter didn't like it either, so we okay. watch the Discerning. older the older version with Colin Firth. We love that one. Colin Firth. Okay. Yeah, the six-hour version. It can't be that. Six hours. Yeah, it's six yeah. hours. Okay, I've not seen that one, obviously. No, she, so Star Wars, your, your span is Star Wars to Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Is there I a know. linkage there in the storylines, the She's, plot lines? That, that no, we, we love outer space and exciting things. And, we, and basically, it's just all candy for the mind. You know, when I deal with okay. human rights issues in other countries, we like to come back to something that's, you know, non-controversial, just easy. So, and my fun. wife says that she, she calls it yeah. uh, what's, candy for the mind. But. No, she calls it something <laughs> more of um, anyway. I'll come up with that one. Favorite books? Uh, I mean, I don't know the Bible because that's mostly all I get a chance to read these days. So, right. any, <laughs> yeah. any particular one uh, chapter, book of the Bible, you go to? No, I just well, I mean, I I love the Book of Jeremiah, okay. which is you know probably one of the saddest books of the Bible, but yeah, I love it. But why do you like it? It's sad. I just think it's amazing how he overcame so many obstacles. I mean, the guy was beaten down uh, to a pulp, dropped in a pit, and yet just was able to overcome and maintain some sense of strength. And I just think it's extremely. Is that the story of you? Maybe. You know, my dad always says that I see red, red, um, red flags as like problems to overcome, not red flags. And so maybe. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, and uh, where do you get the, where do you get your uh, information from on in world? current events a lot What's of different media sources a lot of different you know sources but mostly because I've worked internationally for so many years um, and I've worked in Washington DC with you know great scholars and and experts on a number of issues I just right. go to individuals that that are resources to me on the ground so you just go straight to the source yeah usually you don't have any you don't watch any TV shows listen to the radio shows or I, I like newspapers to, I like to listen to Jeff Katz and John Reed in the morning okay the so local but, local Richmond but but no radio. I mean I really get a lot of firsthand information from the people I work with around the world. I have to because that's the nature of my work. Or is it so, because you're just that busy in that space? You really don't have time to look at every. I mean, that, I think that's the nature of our of our world these days. As our, yeah. ours, and we I just talked about this with Kim Taylor, delegate Kim Taylor. Our information sources are so varied. It's it's hard to people. That's why people don't have the same view of the world because they're not looking at it the same way. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely you don't go on and watch you know NBC nightly news every night anymore right. and everyone excludes to their television you get it from a lot of different right. sources See, growing up we always had like you know this yeah. was on this night and this was on that night you know no. Carol Burnett was here you know the Brady Bunch was here and we all said yeah. we all watched those shows not anymore we're all over the place no I mean I've worked I've worked in over 30 countries so I have very different sources of information that help me in those countries um, there are a lot of regional uh, news sources that are on the ground that work with first-hand information of people that are persecuted for their faith that that give me information on what's happening on the ground. Uh, when we're working in Iraq, we work with a lot of locals on what's going on. So we don't really look to the news because we get it firsthand from what's happening okay. on the inside. Uh, you know, and rarely do you really get a lot of great international news sources on what's happening. You really do have to go locally. I mean, the only one that really does international news 
for the most part is BBC. I mean, CNN a little bit, but you know, it's not something I would look to as a source of great information. Right, right, right. Um, so. so let's talk about your work overseas. Yeah. Uh, the organization is called Hardwire. Yes. So I, I believe that we're all hardwired to be free. It's okay. really simple. Now, is it, is it hardwired? Hardwired. And what's it, hardwired.com? It's hardwiredglobal.org. Hardwiredglobal.org. Yeah. Tell, all, us about, tell us about the work there. So Hardwired is all about the idea that we're all made to be free. And so we help countries, um, people in countries that don't have the most basic freedoms, freedom of conscience, freedom of belief, freedom of religion, freedom of expression. Uh, we help them understand how they can access those rights and, and really gain uh, legal protection for those rights, but also social protection because there's two issues really when it comes to religious persecution and other related religious violence in other countries is, right. you know, it's either coming from the law, bad laws, or it's coming from society and attacks by society on people. So so we are working in two different spaces, really the legal and the educational to help build those two um, levels of respect or a culture of freedom for people. And um, one of, an example of what we do, we're doing is that in Northern Iraq, where ISIS had literally brainwashed all the children to be terrorists uh, when they were there and indoctrinating kids in their schools, uh, those kids were literally left to become the next generation of ISIS. And so my organization had been working in Iraq for a number of years on legal reforms that were very successful. And uh, then one of our donors said, can you help with educational reforms? So we, we ended up doing programs that are now um, responsible for retraining all of the teachers and the children in Mosul that were affected by ISIS, that those children learn to value the freedom of others and the religious freedom of others in particular and don't become the next iteration of ISIS, that they actually right. overcome the intolerance, the hate they were taught, and learn how to um, advance freedom for one another. And so we have, I was in Iraq in October, working with the teachers and the Directorate of Education across Mosul. Um, I was all over Mosul, we had a security team obviously, but it was really amazing to see just the transformation taking place in a culture that had been so ravaged by violence and hate and intolerance, and to see it now turning full circle and actually performing plays to the public uh, on why other people deserve and deserve the same rights as they as they do, regardless of their religion, their beliefs. I feel like it's a great model for what we could be doing here in America too. So, <laughs> I'm so sure that's your next I, question. Well, I was, I was going to say, <laughs> what is the what is the translation or the relation yeah. to what you would want to do or your concerns? In, in America and why yeah. you have chosen to put yourself up for public service. I mean, what, yeah. I mean it seems like you're doing great work over there. Mm -hmm. is, is there a correlation? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the challenges and one of the reasons I got into this in the first place is that we don't have conservatives that have gone and had this kind of experience. I've worked in the US Congress. I've passed bipartisan legislation. I built a bipartisan caucus to advance religious freedom in the US Congress. So I know how to work in very difficult spaces and obviously in conflict zones around the world and in environments where people don't get along and bring them together on issues that um, they don't necessarily agree, agree on. And I think in America right now, we're seeing that we're really at a precipice of people can't get along uh, across the aisle. They can't dialogue. They can't agree to disagree on their differences. Uh, and I think that's one of the greatest threats to our democracy and greatest challenges that we face. And because I've done that in literally extremely hostile environments, I feel like that's a really important skill set to bring back to our country right now. And I have worked in the United States. I worked for the Beckett Fund, which was the law firm that defended Hobby Lobby at the Supreme Court. I organized all the Supreme Court briefs, so working with Ted Cruz, Senator Cruz and Senator Lee and others. So I understand you know, the issues that we're facing in our own country, the legal challenges during the pandemic. I saw firsthand 
just how out of whack our public discourse was on individual liberties and the extremes to which they were going. And I, I was very concerned because as someone who has literally seen liberties completely taken away in other countries and seen how hard it is to reinstill or to create an environment, a culture of freedom in those countries through our legal work, our legal programs, our educational programs, I understand that we really do need, um, we need to come back to basics in America. We need to reinstill within our own citizenry, within our own children, a value for our fundamental freedoms, the freedoms that our founding fathers passed down to us, the freedoms that have allowed me to go around the world and help other people find that same freedom. Now, now where does this come from in, in Teen Ramirez? Why do you fight this fight? What, what about you said, this is what I'm gonna do? When did that take place in your mind? Yeah, and I often share, it's a, it's a personal story. My dad, when I was younger, after my parents had divorced, uh, so I grew up going to St. Edward's Church down in, in Chesterfield, I went to school there. Um, my dad ended up leaving the church and becoming a Jehovah's Witness. And so for him and I, my faith is very important to me. For 10 years, um, all through my um, grade school years and college, we would have very intense discussions about our faith, about what we believed. He would try to convince me what he believed. I tried to convince him of what I believed. And in the end, I, I think we both had to realize we both have a right to be wrong. Okay. And we can love each other even with those very what, what, what time deep differences. What age are we looking at here? This is all the way from like 11 through 21, let's say. Okay, so formative years. Formative years. My formative years were I was understanding what I believed, how to defend what I believed, and I have a right to defend what I believed. Well, I think it's great your father never said you had to. No. And I mean, that's the thing. I mean, all through my life, my father has been extremely supportive of me. And it's I. that is what makes me who I am. That's what allows me to work with people that just committed genocide against each other in Iraq and help them overcome their very deepest differences and say, it's okay to be whatever faith you are, be over what belief system you are, but to recognize the inherent dignity and freedom of the other person to believe differently. And that's something in America that we used to have and I think we've, we're losing. And I'm very concerned with that. And I mm -hmm. think that that's what makes us so great as a nation. That's what's allowed me to help other people overcome these extremely difficult circumstances and find freedom. And so, you know, that's what makes me tick. And, you know, I'm grateful for my, my father that we had that, that very, um, very difficult, you know, conversation because it allowed those, in many countries, those conversations really lead to death for people. They're a life right. and death reality. Right. Here, they're not. And so why don't we reteach our children how to have those conversations? And that it's something I do with my daughter every day. Uh, she's a conservative. She, uh, it, it's, you know, it's fascinating. She can defend her own values though. And I've always taught her these are not, you know, these are my values. You you have to learn and you have to be able to defend your own and what you believe. And that's something that I believe that we should be teaching our children how to think critically and how to think for themselves, not telling them what to think, but how to think. Well, obviously that's a big play in today's political yeah. discourse, isn't it? Because yeah. we've come out of this election cycle when, you know, parents were told by one candidate, we don't really don't want you in this, <laughs> in yeah. this conversation. And other candidates said, yes, in fact, we do. Um, and we, ha we heard today, on, on the radio, driving in today, uh, who ostensibly is going to be your opponent, uh, the, I guess the incumbent, saying um, about the, the governor withholding money, we got to find a way. And she said, I don't care what the Constitution says. Mm -hmm. 
That was a stunning comment. I've never heard, I, I didn't realize anyone said that or would say that. Um, I do hear I, what the Constitution says. Yeah, no, I said it today on the, <laughs> on the uh, 7, uh, 730 yeah. block on, on John Frederick's show, Senator Manning Chase said, you know, I don't care what the Constitution says. We've got to get this done. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I think that's, that's her problem. Is that they, they, okay, so let's talk yeah. about your opponent and why you're running, because you, you yeah. gave deference to the incumbent, Rob Whitman, but you're not giving deference to Amanda Chase. Why well, Amanda it? Chase is not the incumbent, so let's be clear on that. And I think it's really important that the listeners understand that the 12th Senate district is a completely new district. So I live in the portion of the new 12th district that is currently represented by Ghazal Hashmi, which none of us would say is an incumbent that we want to keep there. So I currently live under Ghazala Hashmi. None of us want to want her there. Um, Glenn Sternavet lost horribly to her three years ago. You know, this is this is something we shouldn't have lost to in the first place. And that when we did lose to her, we handed over the state Senate and the majority to the Democrats. Yeah, but I mean, if, so, I, if I can push in here a little yeah. bit, respectfully, of course, yeah. you didn't do that with Rob Whitman. Uh, it was a new district. He was You were looped into the, right. the, the first, essentially, um, and you gave deference to Rob, and now you're looking at the running well, against Amanda in the same district. You didn't give you didn't give deference there. Why is Well, that? Chris, let's just be clear. Amanda Chase has not announced that she's running in the 12th Senate district. Okay. So it is important that I am not running against an incumbent. Right now I'm running... Uh, and I was the first to announce for the newly formed 12th Senate district that okay. encompasses Chesterfield and Colonial Heights, um, parts of which she doesn't represent. Um, she's in the current 10th district and she has not announced where she's running. She hasn't, um, she hasn't filed any paperwork to that effect. So I really don't know what she's doing. I think it's pretty safe to say that no one ever knows what Amanda Chase is doing. So let's just be clear that you know whatever she determines to do, that's up to her. But we need a conservative in the state Senate I want someone rep representing me in the state Senate that I can be proud of, that that doesn't just go up there with conservative values, but can actually work with their colleagues and get things done. Amanda Chase was voted 35 to one to be removed from every committee assignment in the state Senate, which means that she can propose whatever bills she wants, but she has never passed any meaningful legislation or been able to work with her colleagues. They don't wanna work with her, even the Republicans. That's a problem because as a Republican, as a conservative, and maybe Amanda's as conservative as me, maybe, but as a conservative, I have literally worked in hostile environments and in the US Congress on religious freedom, getting things passed in a bipartisan manner. That's not something she's ever been able to do. So, you know, and now she's saying that she doesn't support the constitution. I mean. I don't know what conservative or Republican would support that. Said, I don't want to put words in, but she said we, okay. we shouldn't. I mean, basically said we're not going. We shouldn't listen to the Constitution on this. It was like it's too important to listen to the Constitution. We like, should always whoa, listen whoa, whoa, to whoa, the whoa, Constitution. Whoa. That's exactly why we do this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what she said, but we I'm, should always. I'm sure your yeah, sure look, your look, campaign staff's going to have a field day with that one. Yeah, but look, we should always listen to the Constitution. It's the bedrock of our freedom of our democracy. Right. That's what we fought over in November. The parents sent a message loud and clear. I mean, our parental rights come from the Constitution. Our fight over the last two years with critical race theory and all the junk that they're shoving down our kids' throats in public schools comes from the fact that they are not teaching the Constitution. They are teaching Marxist ideology. I mean, I have literally, I have a master's degree in international human rights. This is something that I've fought for my entire life. Human rights came out of post-Holocaust, the antithesis of the Marxist ideology and movement. It was a way to preserve the value of human dignity. It was rooted in our American um, understanding of inalienable rights, inherent human yeah. worth and value. As somebody that has literally fought for that for the last 20 years around the world, I've written an encyclopedia of human rights. I mean, I have an extensive history of this. I do not understand why you would throw out our foundation of democracy here in America that has literally inspired that movement for human freedom around the world. 
I, I don't understand why anyone would so flippantly make a, a, a statement to that effect. That's irresponsible. And I think that what you're seeing here, Chris, and what we've seen for many years now, is that we have somebody that's more concerned about building her own brand instead of actually defending the Constitution and defending the American people and serving them and bringing people together to do that. And that's, that's why I'm running. We need someone that represents us and that will represent our values and help bring people together to advance our rights and freedoms. Because right now, we are under attack in our, in our state. I mean, we have seen this front and center. And in November, the parents made a very strong statement. We don't want this Marxist ideology on our children. We don't want our kids being denied um, their right to choose whether they want to wear a mask or not, whether they want to be vaccinated or not. What, whatever the choice is, that is a parent's choice, a parent's decision with their child. And it is not something that school boards or, or teachers unions or anyone else can take away from them. Well, it goes, I think, it, uh, let me back up and go to the relationship you have with your father, and you should get more passion. You really should. Try some, try, yeah. try some caffeinated coffee. That's what, it's just. No, it's, it's great to see. I don't even drink coffee. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just great, natural, it's great, Chris. To see, it's great to see passion in anyone who wants to serve the public. But go back to the conversation you had with your father for you know, 10 plus years, probably, you know, probably more than that. Um, having the conversation where you had to defend your own yeah. thoughts and beliefs and your father likewise. Are we not allowed to have that in our public school system? And what's the best environment to do that? And should parents, and what role do parents play in that conversation to make sure that that's occurring in a healthy environment? Well, we should, uh, we don't see that happening. I was a teacher myself, so I taught in the public schools. That was my first career in life. So I, I'm very proud of my, my years teaching. And I taught my students how to think, how to think critically. We did an entire lesson, which was part of the teaching standards at the time on critical thinking. And I just don't see that happening in the schools anymore. What I see is a lot of indoctrination, a lot of one-sided education, and that's really unfortunate. And that's where parents do have a right to challenge that and to say, look, you need to teach our kids how to think, not what to think. That's, it's our job to instill our values in our children. It's not your job. Um, the school place should be a place where we feel safe sending our kids, not worried. I mean, you know, our kids have really suffered over the last couple of years. Um, with all of the issues with the pandemic, I mean, the emotional health of children is really a concern. And I've seen it in my own child, having get moved around to different schools. Mm. You know, it's, it's really been difficult for kids and I've seen it. Um, but then to put on top of that, all of the um, just forced ideology on children. My daughter is biracial, as you know. So, and she's, and her father was not from here. He's from Africa. So I am constantly teaching my daughter about her father's history. That is important to me. I believe it is critically important that we learn all of our history here in America. And when I was a teacher, I taught all about civil war and about both sides and about all of the different issues. That is something as a teacher we should be proud of doing, not teaching them only one side or only the good things no. or only the part that we, we, that we think is acceptable. That's what makes children and citizens well-rounded and able to deal with the controversies and the challenges that surround them. Right. But how are they gonna process all of, that, all of the, the debates in our society if we don't teach them that in the classroom, if we don't model it for them as teachers? Um, you know, I often say when I go in and, and train my, um, the, the people that I work with overseas, I go there to these foreign countries, they think, I am this American girl, I must be a nice Christian girl from America. What do I have to tell them? By the time I leave there, they don't know what religion I am. They don't know my political ideas. They don't know anything. And I do that because it is not my, it is not my point to go there and to make them look like me, act like me, believe like me, right. think like me. 
it is my is my desire to be as neutral as possible so that they come out being able to think critically about the world about others without prejudging them and that's what every teacher should should value in a classroom and i you know as a former teacher myself i i think that you know this whole movement and the radicalization of really the teachers unions, what they're pushing on teachers, has, has done a huge disservice to teachers. And we see teachers leaving in droves because of it. I'm, I'm really excited about what the governor wants to do, increasing funding to education, increasing the quality of education. I mean, these are important things. We need to make schools about education again, not about well, all I, these politicized ideas. Well, I think it goes to some of the problems we discussed earlier, is this, this fractured nature yeah. of our information. Yeah. If we can't get the date, the current events, right. the same. How can we get events from 1770 in our in our discussion? You go to primary sources, though. I mean, yeah, that but, used but to be. But the problem is we can't agree to a certain set of facts to even have the debate yeah. anymore, and that's the problem. We become yeah. so divided and disintegrated from each other that we don't have a common set of knowledge. It goes, yes, this is what we agreed to. Now, yeah. now discuss, because now, yeah. now as what I'm hearing from you is you think people are being force fed. Mm -hmm. the outcome before they're even being right before they discuss the input you know th that's predetermined right and, and and from an from an academic standpoint having been a teacher myself yeah. i think it is it is inordinately destructive yeah to to set a, to set kids up for this level of regardless of what you believe because if you if you set the same system up and like you know, okay republicans took over the house this year if you have a bad set of rules you right. have a bad set of rules and the outcome is going to be just as bad if you let the Republicans run the show as Democrats, if the rules let them govern the way they want to. And we've seen how that's worked out in many countries across the Middle East and Africa. I mean, no. I've worked in many of those societies where might makes right. One person gets in, they control the power and they shove it down everyone else's throats. That's not the way that our founding fathers developed the system. When they fought during the Constitutional Convention for those three months, there were duels. They fought out a lot of really controversial issues, some of which we're still dealing with today but they had the ability to fight it out and to dialogue and to work through it so that they came up with a system that wasn't perfect, but that they all could say, this is a foundation to move forward from and to advance from. We do not allow that process to work out in our classrooms, let alone in our state legislatures. There is no uh, allowance for those debates and really you know, diff strong differences of opinion to be hashed out and worked through. I don't, you don't have to agree with someone in the end, but you need to at least be able to respect the dignity of the person speaking and be willing to understand and to listen to them. And I think that's what's missing. Okay, so, Senator Ramirez, ready to go run for Senate, are you? I, I, you know, I'm really excited about representing Senator. the people of Chesterfield. And we've built up such a huge movement. We just announced over 50 grassroots supporters yesterday that, that endorsed my campaign, several local officials. Mm -hmm. I mean, people of Chesterfield County are really excited and Colonial Heights about this. You know, I've been out defending them on education, on all these issues for, you know, several years now. Um, and, and it's something I want to continue to do. And I've always felt that as a citizen legislature, you should keep your day job. And throughout my last three years of campaigning, I have always maintained my day job. Um, and I just, I think that we don't, we're not here to be served by the people, but to serve them. And that means keeping your day job. Okay. So. <laughs> Very best of luck to you. Hope you'll come you. back on the VIP podcast, the VIP Tina Ramirez running for the state Senate district number, new number 12, 12. new number 12, coming to a theater near you. Thank you, Chris. All right, great, Sandy. Thanks for joining us on the VIP Podcast.